0: As we go now to open God's word together, let's ask him to bless it to us. Let us pray. Father in heaven, give us the grace of your Holy Spirit that your word may be faithfully preached to the honor of your name and the edification of your church. Help us to receive your word with the humility and obedience which it deserves. And hear us for we ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Please be seated. And please turn with me in God's word to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 5. We want to consider together a portion of our Lord's Sermon on the Mount. So Matthew chapter 5, we'll begin our reading at verse 33 and read through verse 37. If you're using one of our pew Bibles, you'll find that on many of them on page 1030. Matthew's the first book of the New Testament. So Matthew chapter 5, beginning our reading at verse 33 and reading through verse 37. Verse 37. for you cannot make one white, one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Thus far the reading of God's word. May he bless it to us. Um, if you're visiting with us this evening in our evening series service, we've been considering a series through the Ten Commandments out of the Heidelberg Catechism. We've come to the Third Commandment. And the third commandment is divided into two Lord's Days, one of which treats oaths. Um, and I don't know about you, but if you were sitting together, sitting down and thinking, okay, what are the 52 top things we need to cover every single year? Um, you might cover a lot of different things, but would you have a whole Lord's Day devoted to oaths? Making oaths, keeping oaths, um, maybe that doesn't... seem to us as the most pressing issue of the fundamentals of the faith to make sure we hit every single year. Uh, There might be a temptation to look at this from the Heidelberg Catechism and say, well, maybe this is just, uh, you know, an evidence of it being kind of dated. Maybe this was a concern way back when it was written um, in the 1500s, and so maybe they needed to cover that as a particular concern. Uh, maybe that's why it's here. And it certainly was a concern of the Reformation time. There, were a lot of, there was a lot of confusion about oaths and how to take oaths. You might remember the famous story of Martin Luther and how he became a monk, that he was caught in a thunderstorm, and in sort of desperation, he called out and promised Saint Anne that if she would deliver him from the storm, he would become a monk. And so his sort of journey uh, that we're so familiar with started with an oath to a saint, Um, And it was a particularly good oath for him to have taken because that was his father's favorite saint. And so his father really didn't want him to become a monk. So this was kind of one of the ways that helped him enter the monastery because he had sworn in the name of his father's number one saint. And so maybe this reflects that Reformation concern. They were concerned with oaths from that aspect. And certainly faithful servants of the Lord had been victimized by those who hadn't kept their oaths. Uh, John Huss was martyred after being told that he would get safe conduct to be put on trial. And after he was declared a heretic, they arrested him anyway, even though they said that they would um, give him safe conduct. And their excuse was, oaths made to heretics are not binding. Um, And so he's been declared a heretic. The oath that was made to this heretic is not binding. And so they burned him at the stake. You might remember that after Martin Luther appeared at the Diet of Worms, He was kidnapped by friends for fear that the same would be done to him, uh, that they would also go back on their word of safe conduct to him and martyr him. Um, So there could be a temptation to say this is the concern of the Reformation era, this concern with oaths. And that's why we read from where we read in our Lord's Sermon on the Mount. Among the important topics our Lord covers, we can just look at the the headings that are laid out in Mark chapter 5 as sort of a rough guide to the kinds of things our Lord covers. He covers anger, lust, divorce, retaliation, loving your enemies, giving to the needy, and He covers oaths. Uh, So this is not simply a historical concern or a dated concern. Um, This is not just something the Reformation was concerned with. Our Lord was concerned with how we treat our oaths, how we treat our word, especially how we treat the word that's given in the name of our God. Um, And so, of course, if our Lord thinks this is an important topic for a sermon, it's not surprising that people seeking to follow the word decided this would be an important topic for sermons. And so just as an encouragement to you seminarians who may one day have to preach series through the Heidelberg Catechism, if you're ever tempted to come to this Lord's Day and say, well, you know, do we really need a sermon on this? Yes, we do. Uh, just by way of, of help to you, uh, one year I preached a sermon on oaths from this Lord's Day, kind of wondering in my own mind, is this really the most necessary thing? And that following week I had three different people who said, you know, what the Lord taught us about oaths I really needed to apply to my life, and that was really helpful for me. So uh, we shouldn't try to be wiser than God. If the Lord preached on it, it's important And we want to think about why it's important and especially think about how he preaches it here in the Sermon on the Mount um, as an important issue of the Christian life, um, an understanding of our word and what it ought to mean. So as we think about the third commandment, particularly on oaths in light of our Lord's words here, we want to first consider the law's command, what the law commands us in this section, the Lord's purpose in saying what he does in his Sermon on Oaths, And finally, life's demands, as the catechism lays it out, that may require us to take oaths from time to time and to think about them properly. So that's how I want to think about uh, this passage of Scripture tonight. The law's command, the Lord's purpose, and life's demands. Uh, We begin with the Lord's command. That's where the Lord begins when he speaks about oaths. Look at verse uh, 33. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. Jesus begins with the law's command. Not citing any one place in the Old Testament, but kind of bringing together the Old Testament's teaching on what it was to swear an oath and how God's people were to swear. So this is really a summary of what the Old Testament teaches. And all oaths that were taken were to be sworn in the name of the Lord in the name of our covenant God. That was the law that came to God's people in Deuteronomy 6.13. It is the Lord your God you shall fear, him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. If God's people were to take oaths, they were to take them in the name of their God, in the name of the Lord. And whatever they had sworn, they were to do. If they promised to do something, if they took an oath in the name of the Lord, they had to do what they'd promised to do in his name. Um, Just a few examples of that from the law. Leviticus 19.12, you shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of your God, I am the Lord. You see why this topic falls under the third commandment. To swear something to the Lord and not to keep it is to profane his name, is to misuse the name of the Lord. Deuteronomy 30 verse 2 said, If a man vows a vow to the Lord, or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. Um, and making it crystal clear, we read in Deuteronomy 23, 21 to 23, If you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay fulfilling it. For the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and you will be guilty of sin. But if you refrain from vowing, you will not be guilty of sin. You shall be careful to do what is past your lips, for you have voluntarily vowed to the Lord your God what you have promised with your mouth. So the Lord is very clear about that. There is only one name by which you must swear, and if you swear by that name, you must do what you've said. God wanted his people to be people of the truth. Um, And so in the Old Testament, to swear by the name of the Lord was not just seen as the only name that you can swear by, but it was a, a statement of your allegiance to God. It was a way of saying, this is the only true God. This is the God who knows what the truth is. This is the God who bears witness to the truth. This is the God who will avenge those who tell the truth and prove to be false or who pretend to tell the truth and prove to be false. This is the God who will be the protector of truth. And so to swear in God's name was a way of declaring your allegiance to God, of saying the God is the only one true God because every every people swore by the name of their gods. If your God was Baal, you swore by Baal's name. And so to be people that swear by the Lord's name, it's a statement of loyalty. It's a statement of who you are. That you believe in the one true God, that you're saying God is the only God who bears witness to the truth. He's the only God who can punish where there's falsehood. He is the only one and true God. That was a way of declaring your loyalty, your allegiance to God, was to swear in his name. They were making that statement of loyalty. That's why we sang Psalm 63, Um, And particularly in verse 11, we read, But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. Do you notice how all who swear by him is a synonym for all those who believe him? All those who fear him? Those who fear the Lord are those who swear by the Lord. Uh, They're those who declare their allegiance by their oath. That's why question 102 says, he's the only name by which you should swear because no creature is worthy of that honor and there's only one God that can judge the truth and enforce the truth. There's only one name that's worthy to swear by. We call on him, the one true God who alone knows the heart and is able to witness and enforce the truth. It was an act of allegiance to swear an oath to God. It said, that's who I am. And that's why it was such a serious business to swear in the Lord's name and then not to do what you've promised to do. Because you've just asserted the Lord is the one who will judge the truth. The Lord is the one who will punish the wrongdoer. And if you swear by his name and then don't keep it, what you're really saying is, I don't believe in the Lord. I don't believe that the Lord will see the truth. I don't believe that the Lord will enforce the truth. Um, That's why it was such a serious business to take the name of God on your lips and then not do what you've said. You've shown yourself to be at cross purposes. You can't declare loyalty to the Lord and then show you don't believe in the Lord at all by not keeping the word you've sworn. And that's what the whole Old Testament was teaching about. Oh, that's why it talks so much about swearing in the Lord's name and doing what you've promised to do. You don't want to be like those who swear by other names. That's one of the judgments that Amos brings as a prophet against those who swear by the guilt of Samaria and say, as your God lives, O Dan, and as the way of Beersheba lives, they shall fall and never rise again. He's talking about people who swore by the golden calves, the golden calves of Dan or the golden calves of Beersheba. That's not what God wants. He wants them to be loyal to him. That's why oftentimes when the prophets came against the people of God, that was one of their complaints. That you swear, but you don't keep the truth. You don't make that mistake of swearing by false gods. You swear in the name of the Lord, except you just don't do what you say you're going to do. That's what Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 4, 1 and 2. If you return, O Israel, declares the Lord, to me you should return. If you remove your detestable things from my presence and do not waver, and if you swear as the Lord lives in truth, in justice, and in righteousness. Then the nations shall bless themselves in him, and in him they shall glory. Jeremiah returns to this in the very next chapter, in chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. He says, Run to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem. Look and take note. Search her squares to see if you can find a man, one who does justice and seeks truth, that I may pardon her. Though they say, as the Lord lives yet they swear falsely. Um, again, it was, it was a, set, a sign of how far things had fallen for Jeremiah that someone would say, as the Lord lives and swear, and then not do what they'd promised to do. Um, that's what the Lord wanted them, to show that loyalty to him, to show that trust, not only in how they swore, but in living by what they swore, showing by what they did that they believed and feared that name. Um, And so the Old Testament has so much to say about oaths that's, that's summarized here by our Lord when he says, you've heard that it was said of old. He summarizes what's been heard from the Old Testament law. And so if the Bible has so much to say, so much to say about oaths, then what is the Lord's purpose after thinking about what the law commands in seeming to say, now you've heard all of that? don't do it. You've heard all of that in the Old Testament about oaths. He almost appears to say, doesn't he? Now, don't do that. Don't swear oaths at all. And so having thought about the law's command, you have heard that it was said, then we move on to the Lord's purpose. What is the Lord's purpose in saying what he says here? Um, Does he really mean to undo all the law that's come before well, I think, I hope you would, you would know that that's not Jesus' purpose. Uh, but we're helped in knowing what Jesus' purpose is because of what he said earlier in the Sermon on the Mount. We just have to back up a few verses to Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, to know what the Lord's purpose is in these things. What does he say there in verses 17 through 19? Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Jesus has been crystal clear about what his intention is in talking about the law. He says, have I come to abolish the law? No, I've come to fulfill the law. In fact, not one little bit of the law will pass away until all of it is accomplished. He says the law must not be relaxed in the least. He hasn't come to abolish it. He hasn't come to relax it. Um, The law must be obeyed. Jesus is very clear about all of those things. So then it would be a very strange thing, wouldn't it, if he came along with oaths and said, I'm abolishing that law. Uh, That law has passed away. I'm going to relax it to the point of it not being applicable at all. Uh, This law doesn't need to be obeyed. If we try to read what he says here that way, we've left his purpose in talking about these things. Jesus does not come to abolish the law. What does Jesus come to do in the Sermon on the Mount as it touches on each one of these commandments that he brings to our attention? He really has two purposes in what he does at each stage of the Sermon on the Mount. The first purpose he has is to strip away all of the human inventions and corruptions that have been piled on top of the law. One of the things Jesus wants to do in coming and pressing the law again is to say, let's clean up all the stuff that people have added to what God has said. So he wants to strip away all of that, and then he wants the actual law of God to come with the full force it should have on the people who are hearing it. Those are the two things he wants to do. Strip away human invention and corruption and show the full force of the law that the Lord has established. And that's what our Lord is doing by what he says here. That's his first purpose in stripping away all the human additions and corruptions that had crept in around law keeping. Because it was a debate they liked to have. What kinds of oaths are binding? And people began to say, well certainly if you swear by the Lord, the law is very clear, you have to keep what you swear. But what if you don't swear by the Lord? What if you swear by Jerusalem? What are you what if you swear by your head? What if you swear by other things? About by heaven, by earth? Are those are those, those really binding? Do you really mean it if you say something like that? Can someone really put your feet to the fire? You know, sort of the modern equivalent of I swear on my mother's grave. And someone says, your mother's not dead. You know, the, we swear on things all the time. And that's what it would come. They, they start swearing on things. And so it became just a way of talking. Oh, I swear by heaven that that's true. I swear by Jerusalem that's true. And people would just start using this kind of language. And if they ever swore something and they didn't do it, they would say, well, I didn't swear in God's name. And so what does the, the conversation about oaths become then? When I can get out of the things I've sworn? When does my yes not really mean yes? And when does my no not really mean no? And you see, what God has wanted is for this law to be a law of truth speaking, of oaths to be a serious thing, and oaths have become a Nothing. And the whole discussion has become, what don't I have to do when I promise to do it? That's what Jesus wants to strip away, and he wants to bring home the full force of the law, to strip away those corruptions. I like how one commentator described the condition of the day. He says that the leaders of the law taught that an oath in which the name of the Lord was not specifically mentioned was of lesser significance. One did not need to be quite so conscientious about keeping it. And so in daily conversation, oaths began to multiply by heaven and by earth and by Jerusalem. In order to make an impression, a person might utter such an oath, talking big and dispensing enormous promises. If the affirmation which had been made was a lie, or if the promise was not, it never even meant to be kept, that was not so bad as long as he had not sworn to the Lord. And Jesus wants to strip that away. The Lord has never been about when you can say something and be lying. That is no part of what God has wanted. God has always been the author and defender of truth. And what Jesus says is you can't swear by anything and disconnect it from the God who is the author of truth. You might think you can do it by swearing by heaven that somehow you can disconnect heaven from God but you can't don't swear by heaven it's his dwelling place you might think you can swear by earth and disconnect it but from God don't swear by earth for it's his footstool you might think you can swear by Jerusalem and disconnect it from God it's the city of the Messiah of the great king You cannot play games with the truth in any way that you can actually separate the truth from the God of truth. God will always bear witness to the truth no matter how you swear. God is always connected with the truth. God is always enforcing the truth. He's the arbiter of it. He's the defender of it. He's the one who knows the heart. And he's the one who will punish those who swear falsely. What does God want? He wants people who bear his name to be like him. Does God ever say something that he doesn't mean? Is God's yes ever not yes? Is God's no ever not no? Our God is a God who speaks the truth. Those who bear his name should be People of the truth. What Jesus is saying is bringing the whole force of the law to bear and say, you shouldn't need to swear an oath to make what you say mean something. You shouldn't need to swear an oath for your yes to be yes and for your no to be no. You should be people who speak as if everything is sworn as an oath to the Lord. As if everything bears the name of the Lord because you bear the name of the Lord. And don't you see how the Lord is making this come with the full force of things? You shouldn't be playing games about what, what of your word doesn't mean anything. What of your word can't be really pressed as being true? He said, you shouldn't need to take an oath because everything you say should come with the force of an oath. Everything that God says comes with the force of who he is. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Mean what you say. Mean what you promise. That's why people who bear the name should speak like the God whose name they bear. Wouldn't it be a terrible place for us to be if we could not rely on God's word? If God was a God who said one thing one day and changed his mind the next? It would be an awful place to be. In fact, that's one of the great encouragements that's held out to us in Scripture. I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you are not consumed. If God changed His word, we'd be in big trouble. But God doesn't change His word, and He wants people who bear His name to also be people whose words mean something when we speak them. And so then, when, when would life's demands require us to make an oath? When, when would that ever come to us as something we ought to do? Because we do sometimes have to take oaths. Um, and so God's Word also helps us in that regard. When might we take an oath? Well, the first circumstance of life that might demand us to take an oath is when the government requires it. Right? It shouldn't be required for us to take an oath for our, name to mean, for our word to mean something, but sometimes the government might require us to take an oath. And so when that happens, we should think about those oaths under the the category of submitting to the governing authority. We don't need to take that oath for our word to mean something, but sometimes the government may ask us to take an oath, and if it's for a legitimate purpose, we can take that oath. My, My dad asked me this week what I was preaching on Sunday night, and I said we were on the third commandment on oaths, and he said, Oh, so you can take an oath anytime the government demands it. What about the SS that required you to take a personal oath of loyalty to Hitler? And I said, well, I'll make sure I cover that as a practical application. So all of you, do not take personal oaths of loyalty to Hitler, right? It's not for whenever the government just makes you do it. So you can tell my dad that I honored my father and did this. but what, what is the purpose of it? Not, well, you can't just take it if there's not a legitimate purpose to it. But if the government has a legitimate purpose, we should have no problem swearing to the things that we're promising. Um, you know, we had the privilege not too long ago of watching Reverend Cortez be sworn in as an officer of the Navy, and we had our brother here administer the oath. If, if we thought that was wrong, we wouldn't have let our brother administer it. We wouldn't have let our brother take it, right? That was, it's a lawful oath for a good purpose. Right To serve our nation, to protect our laws, uh, to serve the men and women in, as, as a chaplain in the chaplain corps. Those are all good purposes for which we should have no problem taking an oath. And when the government asks us to do it, we should have no problem doing it. That's a legitimate reason to take an oath for a legitimate purpose. We've all probably had to sign things under the penalty of perjury um, from some time or another. And we shouldn't have any problem doing that. Uh, when it's required of us by the government. Um, We can think of all sorts of things, and we see that in Scripture as well. Legitimate authorities requiring oaths. There were certain cases under the law that were so important that the priests were to put the people under an oath that were involved in the case. Ezra, when he's governing governing the people, puts people under an oath as a legitimate authority. Um, King Saul puts David under an oath not to destroy his family line when he takes over as king. Those are legitimate oaths where we see people submitting to the legitimate authorities. They were willing to be put under an oath. And probably the greatest example of all was Jesus was willing to be put under oath by the high priest when he was called before the Sanhedrin. And Jesus, we're told in Matthew chapter 26, 63-64, the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God Tell us if you are the Christ. What is the high priest doing when he says, I adjure you by the living God? He's putting Jesus under an oath. Um, And Jesus tells him that that's true. Jesus said to him, you have said so, but I tell you from now on you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Uh, he recognizes him as the legitimate authority and being put under that oath, but he says to the high priest, you better recognize who is the legitimate authority who's coming in power. Um, you don't need to put Jesus under oath, right? He didn't know what he was doing when he said, I adjure you by the living God. The living God was speaking to him. Um, he should have had more care about how he addressed the Lord of glory. But if Jesus was willing to be put under oath, we should be willing to put under oath. If it's something in principle we can commit to, that's fine if the government requires it. And there are other times when it's necessary in order to maintain and promote truth and trustworthiness for God's glory and our neighbor's good. There might be other times when the matter is so important that an oath is required to guarantee the truth and trustworthiness of something. Um, And we see evidences of that in scripture as well. When Paul was talking to the Romans, um, the Roman church was a church that Paul didn't know personally. Um, And so there are things that he says to the church that he tells them on oath so that they know that they're true. Um, Paul does this in Romans 1, 9 and 10. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers asking that somehow by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. Um, it's important for the church to understand that Paul is praying for them and he desires to come and visit them, but he's really not been able to. And right, they don't want, he doesn't want the danger of someone in the church thinking, well, I don't know if he really wants to come see us or not. Or if the reasons that he gives for not coming are really the truth. And so what does he do to make sure they know that this is the truth about what he's saying? He says, God is my witness. I've been praying to come. I desire to come. But thus far I've been unable. You see, he's trying to promote the truth and trustworthiness of what he's saying for the good of the people that are hearing it. He does the same thing with the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians 1 23. But I call God to witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. Right there, people might say, again, people were saying, Paul talks a big game when he's not around, but he doesn't like to show up. And maybe he doesn't like to show up because he's too afraid to confront us all. And Paul wants them to understand, no, it's actually because I wanted to spare you that I'm not coming. It's important that you know that. This is actually an act of compassion, not an act of cowardice. And I'm going to guarantee you to that by swearing to the Lord that that's true. You can see how when it's a really serious matter to promote the truth and trustworthiness of what's being said, either for God's glory or for the good or safety of our neighbor, then we should be willing to take that oath. But it better be necessary to do that. So that we make sure we're not doing it as a common thing. To make sure that we're doing it simply for those needs. I wanna glorify God, so I'm going to swear this oath. I wanna make sure my neighbor is protected, so I wanna swear this oath, that it doesn't become a common thing. But really what Jesus said drives home the point that really should be there for all of us. That if I bear the name of God, whose yes is always yes and no is always no, I may have an occasion to swear an oath from time to time, but I want to conduct myself in everything that I say so that the integrity of my God is seen in my life. We're called Christians. We bear the name of Christ in what we do. And if we get a reputation for being the kind of people who promise things we don't deliver and say things we don't mean, we mar the name of our Lord by doing that. And it's a wonderful demonstration of our integrity lived out in life when our word is reliable, when we mean what we say. Um, I like how one commentator put it. He said, to say yes and to mean it, to say no and equally mean it, is a matter of integrity of character rather than a form of words. We should be people without internal division, free of the double mind wholehearted with God and with man. We practice a devotion to the truth with our lips because the truth dwells in us. The Lord who is the truth dwells in us by his spirit. And so there may be times to take oaths, but God's people should live their lives as if yes means yes and no means no. Because anything else, is the way the devil talks. And we don't want to be like that. We want to be like the God that we serve. And so letting our yes be yes and our no be no is one of the ways that we proclaim who our God is. One of the ways we show our God to the world and to one another. And By God's grace would He work in us so that we would show that Christ dwells in us by the way that we talk. So that our word is reliable and meaningful when we speak, and that our yes is yes, and our no is no. Let's ask for God's help in that. Amen. Our Father in heaven, we do pray that you would help us to be people of integrity of speech, that we know that there are times when life may demand us to swear oaths, and that if they're done for legitimate purposes or when the government demands it, those are okay. We pray that you would help us to be people who speak the way you speak. How thankful we are to know you are not double-minded, that we don't have to hear your word and think maybe you're thinking something else. What a relief it is to us to be able to read of you in the word and to hear you preached in the word and to know by your spirit that that is truly who you are, that there is in you no double mind, there is one heart in your relation with us. And we thank you for how clearly you've made that known to us in the coming of your Son how the Lord spoke and his yes was always yes and his no was always no. And even though he was willing at times to be put under oath by people who did not know or understand the truth, his word was always reliable. And how important that is to us when he says that he will give us peace and he says that he will give us life. And that no one will snatch us out of his hand to know he speaks with one heart and without a double mind. And since we have the privilege of knowing him by his spirit, we pray that we would broadcast him by our conduct. That they would know that we are Christians by our love and that they would know that we are Christians by our truth. So forgive us, Lord, when our yes has not been yes and our no has not been no. And work in us by, our, by your spirit that we might honor your name in how we conduct ourselves in the world. Help us in these things, we pray, that we might glorify your name. Hear us, for we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.